Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. And I'm your other host, Eddie McCarthy. Judson, how goes it? It goes, man. Uh, my mind was blown this weekend, though, in a way that I shared with you. And I think you didn't even like I think you thought I was joking. I did, in fact, think you were joking. Yes. Showrunner and Las Vegas luminary. Gary Scott Thompson did the screenplay for Fast and Furious. Correct. It happened to be on TV and I was watching it as one does when you see Fast and Furious on television and it ended and the credits were rolling. I just wasn't, you know, didn't jump up and turn it off. I was like, what the fuck? I found this hilarious because we've had multiple mentions of the Fast and Furious franchise on this here podcast. We have some of them considerably shoehorned in that I had always thought was a direct reference to the fact that GST wrote the first one and was we we had that background knowledge and that's why we were doing it. It never occurred to me that you had no idea about this. And so I found it fucking hilarious. I just thought you really liked Fast and Furious. I mean, I do really like Fast and Furious. That's that is also very true. I mean, we shoehorn Sports Night references in here left, right and center. And to my knowledge, there are no direct connections. Uh, beyond this podcast, there are none. Holy shit. Are we part of the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon now? Has, have we always been part of the Montecito cinematic universe? (laughs) Holy shit, dude. We are what links Megatron to Natalie of sports night. Wow. Also shout out to money plane star edge on winning the Royal rumble. Apparently good work. Oh, look at that. Any word on how Kelsey Grammer did? Uh, well, as as Twitter told us, Money Plane spoiled the Rumble, the Royal Rumble, because Edge defeated the Rumble in Money Plane. I don't know if Kelly Grammer entered or not this year. Huh. He may be a big AEW star. I don't know. Well, you know, if he's going for that AEW money, that that's the place to be. So I'll follow I'll follow Frazier wherever he's wrestling. Now I'm thinking of what Frazier and Niles would look like as a tag team, and it's a delightful image. What if they unleash the little dog on people as part of their, like, opening attack? I believe that would count as a foreign object. So unless it was a no DQ match, they're going to they're going to rack up L's real quick. You've got to know Frazier and Niles are only fucking with non DQ matches. Oh, they they're they're on that hardcore shit. Correct. <laughs> Explosive deathmatch veterans. Frazier Crane and Niles. Oh, also Crane. Crane. They were yeah, they were, they were <laughs> brothers, weren't they? <laughs> that is the conceit of the show. Yeah. Never watched much Frazier. Well, you're going to watch a lot when that's the follow up to this podcast, my friend. Oof. Welcome to Pod in Seattle, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit CBS. I believe it was also an NBC joint because it was a Cheers spinoff. Hit NBC television show Frazier. We'd have to cover Cheers before we covered Frazier, right? I mean, Cheers, I could get behind. All right. Well, I think we have drugged this out for about as long as humanly possible. Uh, God only knows where else we could take it, but might as well do the damn thing. I say we talk about season two, episode two, The Count of Montecito. Sounds like a plan. Spooky. Uh, Let's get ready to swallow. We open with a voiceover from Mary explaining how great the Montecito is. And my first thought was, what? (laughs) Did they originally film this as the premiere of season two? It was sort of like a catch up. Like I had no idea what was going with it. 
like Danny's pulling up to the valet. He's rushing through the casino. And I'm like, is this the like 2004? There weren't DVRs like get you caught up that they forgot to do. God, you know, what would be terrible is if they did like the wire where each season is focusing on like different groups. What if each season they had a different internal voice narrator? You would have not done this podcast with me. I would have hit the eject button so hard on season two. Well, the good news is that's not what's happening. What is happening is that Mary is explaining to a collection of women that the Montecito, known the world over as the premier resort and casino that it is, is now opening a topless pool. And these women have been hired to seed the environment to help people embrace their more, I believe she calls it European tendencies. Mm, yes, very European. And Danny's rushing through the casino because he wants to see him some titties. I mean, yeah, checks out. Yeah. The, I guess the dramatic beat of this scene is that Mary reveals that they have decided not to get married, at least for now. Danny does not seem like he is on board with this decision, but is going along with it and insisting she keep the ring for now. Which was... Also, a, it was a really weird scene because, A, not a great uh, location for that kind of a conversation, but Danny just creepily checking chicks out in front of his possible would-be fiance is a weird look. I think he's saying, look, you got to lock this shit down. <laughs> I've got options. I threw that out there. You threw it back in my face. So in the meantime, I'm going to look at some half-naked women. I tried to put a ring on it, but you don't want to be exclusive. So, you know, while we're here at the Betta Pello, Betta, Bella Petto, there it is. Uh, yep. I believe it translates it to the beautiful wax in English. Uh, it, if only it's the beautiful chest. Which is fantastic. That's an excellent, <laughs> excellent bit. I think the only way it could have been better is if they had an Italian guest. And he kind of looks at them and just says one of those like, it's a little on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> Bella, Be- Bella Petto's indeed at the Bella Petto. Sam is walking some archaeologist nerd out to the pool with the express purpose of turfing him onto Mike. And this guy is angling to get a spot at the topless pool based on some bullshit claim of for academic purposes and yada, yada. Mike's all, I can't help you. The pool's booked, you know, we're, we're jam packed through next Swizzens day. Why is this either of their responsibilities? This yeah. guy's not a big gambler and Mike works security and surveillance. I, I get Sam trying to turf him up to Mike because Sam hears nerd shit and goes, Mike will deal with this. <laughs> but it seems like it's a very easy. Yeah, it's booked up. Sorry, bro. Yeah. I mean, if he was trying to be charming, that would be one thing. I mean, famously, we secured primo location at Aria's sports book for the opening day of March Madness in 2009. Nine, maybe. When did the Aria open? That will tell us because it had just opened. Yeah, like it still had a new paint smell. It opened December 16th, 2009. So this was March of 2010. Mm, Okay, And we famously secured primo sportsbook spot that we should not have purely on the merits of us being nice and charming to the dude running the sportsbook. I'd be like, oh, man, we actually want to bet sports and you're having to cordon all this shit off for high rollers who don't give a fuck. And he was very cool. Like, hey. Come find me later. If anyone cancels, I got you. This guy is not doing that. He is just, yeah, I need to, this, I need to analyze, you know, the chest bearing tendencies of culture. Like, fuck off, dude. Yeah, that was easily the best rabbit out of a hat that you have ever pulled. 
uh, that was legendary. But, you know, we've seen that there can be charming archaeologists. Indiana Jones. Great. Uh, Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park. He's pretty cool. He'd, I'd help him see some titties. Uh, he's a this, paleontologist, not an archaeologist. Sir. Oh, yes, that's right. Good call. Was she an archaeologist? No, she was a paleobotanist. Mm, that's right. I have not seen Jurassic Park in far too long, apparently. Screenplay by GST. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, Musical score by Josh Demel. Oh, I thought you were going to go Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray. <laughs> no, it's that good, good, ever clear plan. Still, still ever last. Yeah, whatever. So <laughs> here's the thing. Shouldn't he have been an anthropologist if he's saying he wants to study the chest bearing cultures? Because an archaeologist like has to wait for them to die and then dig them out. Maybe he wants to see how it affects their spines. Well, I was, was going to say he's he's digging out a bone. All right. Hey, oh, talking about his penis. Yeah. yeah, I set you up for that one, but you you went in a different direction. So I had to make sure we got back to that good, good joke. I mean, that was a joke well worth going back for. Much like Bellapetto. I get him trying, but he's just barking up the wrong tree and he's not doing a very good job of it. So bye. Yeah. And so Mike's like, I'll, I'll take you on a fucking tour, a VIP tour. There's no there's no restriction around walking around the pool. You don't need Mike to be like, here are the tits over here is the bar. <laughs> Here's some more tits. I could see the Montecito having a, you know what? You don't just get to loiter around like a creep at our topless pool. Like at least make sure people have room cards like the elevator line or something. Yeah, but I mean, he's staying at the place and he could go buy a drink at the bar and sit at the bar. Sure. You know, I mean, fucking drink $12 iced teas and leer at them in your tea and leer at them in your suit like you were going to in a fucking lounge chair anyway. Goddamn creeper. <laughs> There are worse plans out there. In the meantime, Sam is pulled away by news of someone playing for $5,000 a hand and runs off to find that Nessa's called her in because there's a young woman with a basic strategy blackjack card who is also a local. She's been playing five grand a hand for the last 20 minutes and is completely indifferent to Sam and her approach and casino hosting the whole nine yard. I mean, withering with her indifference. Yeah, she she wants Sam to go away very, very quickly. We're talking like first episode hobo and bunny slippers. Go away, go away, go away. See, it's a, it, I don't even think it's that. She's just like, no, no, uh-uh. like it's she has no idea what's even possible. Like what's on the menu of things for it's wild to me. Yeah, we even get a. Do you have another casino host? I don't even know what that is. Which you would think a Las Vegas local sure would. But yeah, you would, wouldn't you? But, you know. Maybe not. If you've never gambled before. I mean, I guess not. Although it seems weird that someone would just decide to take 25 grand out of the blue one day and go start gambling. This is true. Not as weird as the fact that just as Sam's walking away, we get the dulcet tones of an off screen John Lovitz, a.k.a. Fred, wafting in, falling down on us like the flurries of a fresh fallen snow and just as fucking irritating. I was going to say that was oddly poetic for such a fairly annoying character performance in this episode. Nessa is genuinely happy to see him and he's brought her flowers and it's like everything's all cute. We find out he's turned his six million into 14. So far, so good. But he is here to woo Nessa, as he puts it. And despite her not really being interested, he's not really interested in her lack of interest. To to woo is to err, as many have said. 
And Fred isn't here for any no's, and he doesn't really care. He's he's going to shoot his shot regardless of the fact that the gym is closed and he is not on a basketball court. I, I think if you have to announce that you're wooing somebody, you're not doing it correctly. Certainly not well. It's like when we have to explain our jokes on this podcast, it should really serve as a important flag to say, maybe you've gone astray. I don't know. I'm pretty sure people always think it's funnier when you explain the joke. And people are more romantically attracted to you when you explain, I'm here to woo you. It was a very funny delivery of that line, though. And you know what? Women always say they want someone who'll make them laugh at baby because she finally agrees to get a drink with them. Fred, my guy, when you get the answer you want, you shut the fuck up. Yeah. You don't creepily make suggestive comments as they're walking away on you. Woo! Now the adventure begins. Get some rest. Excellent advice. I I may have to come up with something a little different at the end. She's he's lucky she didn't spin around and be like, nah. Uh-uh. Actually, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah. Give her the old Mark Cuban shark tank. Just for calling me cubes, I'm out. We hit the credits. And I did want to follow up to the point I made last week. I can confirm CNN is reporting. Everyone in the season two credits smiles during their close up except Jimmy Khan. Even Danny gives a little smirk as he's driving. James is a serious businessman. He's he is a he is here to do thespian things. He is not here to smile. So I would love it. Love it. If they're cutting the season two credits, both the James haven't been smiling. All right. Uh, Mr. Khan, probably. And Jimmy L. Can we get you back on set to kind of reshoot this? So James sure is like, yeah, sure. Whatever gets out there, throws on his red shirt and James kind of just sit there. Nope, I'm good. Uh, uh-uh. I got a tea time in 20. If you want me to smile, you should have told me to smile the first time we shot it. Find a clip where I am smiling. I'm out. That's just proper directing right there. Yeah, we come out of these credits, the nearly unanimous smiling credits as they'll forever more be known. And we're up in security where Sam is reporting on what she knows about this big money blackjack local who's using a basic strategy card up 90k and leaves at the first shuffle and ed right away is like she's counting got her counter and come on ed check the episode title of course she is the count of montecito he should know this he shouldn't act like he's a genius for figuring this out it's in the episode title we all know she's counting ed thought that was about vampires he didn't know it was about counting silly ed Danny, though, points out that she's been betting strong right from the jump. And I thought we would take a second and give our audience a little primer, if you will, on what it means to count cards. We've always held this out as an educational podcast, and I think it's important that we keep delivering these fantastic lessons. I agree. So the basic premise is in a game of blackjack where you're not using a continuous shuffler. So that is to say there is a deck or a shoe. That is not being constantly having the discards constantly uh, injected back into it. The cards have a memory and you should know that face cards as a rule benefit players and low cards as a rule benefit the dealers. And that's mostly because face cards tend to resolve things quicker. So there's fewer unknowns, whereas small cards tend to let things go on and go off in unpredictable ways. And also things like splitting and double down, doubling down are generally Uh, greatly benefited by the presence of uh, face cards and both those are not available to the dealer. So the idea is if you know that a lot of the low cards have been used up, you bet bigger 
you're more likely to win. And in fact, because blackjack is such a low house edge game, doing so can make it actually a negative house edge game. So far, so good. But I feel like the casinos won't like that. We we will hear later on. Mike even brings up the idea of, you know, what's so bad? It's it's just being better at blackjack. So you can remember numbers. What? How is that a problem? And Danny very quickly goes, because if people are really good at it, then they take all our money. And then the tall and shiny building doesn't get to be very tall and shiny. Now, does it, Michael? I thought, I mean, Mike obviously exists to play the straw man here, but preposterous that Mike would get to this position he is in his life and not understand the practicalities of why they can't allow card counting. He's he's worked for a casino for a long time. It's not a hard lesson. So what's interesting is that's a very predictable and obvious thing to do. If you're betting, you know, the table minimum and then all of a sudden it gets what they call a rich deck and you bump up your bet huge, which you have to to tip the odds in your favor. They're like, oh, hey, this person's counting cards. Stop it. You're out of here. So around this time, there was this uh, book that came out for a bunch of MIT students. Was it Bringing Down the House? Bringing Down the House. And the idea was that they would count in teams. So somebody would sit there, they'd be betting the minimum, just waiting and waiting till the deck got rich, and then they'd call in a, a pretend high roller who'd come in, hiding in plain sight, big show, max bets right out of the gate. Uh, and Vegas got their ass handed to him for a while until they figured out what was going on. So that's what we're seeing this episode. That's a little bit of a, I guess, at the time, contemporaneous history lesson for you. Now, funny story about card counting. Mm. One time, friend of the podcast, Tyler Green and I were playing at the Bellagio for pretty low stakes. I think it was like a, it was in the middle of the day, it was like a 15 or $20 table. So for the Bellagio, you know, peanuts. And we went on an absolute tear and started pressing our bet. And they sent what were basically two plainclothes big collars who sat at a closed table right next to us and watched us. Convinced that you were counting? And we're like, what? And we're like, no, we're just, <laughs> we're just winning. They didn't never said anything. Whatever. But like, we were getting a lot more notice from the pit boss. And it's like, please don't, please don't back room us. Like, we're just, we're not cheating. It's, it's a lot like how you never want to be the main character of the day on Twitter. You never want to be the focus of casino staff in any way. No. Nothing well, good is happening. I mean, you're you're winning. Something good is happening. Touche. A fair point. You just never want to be a justified target of casino attention. Sure. All right. So that's counting cards. Back in security, Mike and Lee are getting chummy and Danny is getting jealous, which ugly look for Danny, but it's fine because it does let us get James Conn saying douchebag. So already it's the greatest episode of television ever made. Full stop. Who's a douchebag? He he had some some emphasis on it, too. That one came from the soul. Yeah. Big Ed acts like he doesn't use that word, but, you know, Big Ed uses that word. It's it's like how we got the forget about it with uh, Fast Tommy. He's just if he's around the right people, he just kind of slips back into it. Yep. So Danny digs into Lisa's background, Lisa being the woman who's betting big, including digging through her bank records. Turns out she doesn't really have the money to be affording these huge buy-ins. And Danny suspects that she's being front of the, the money by someone else doing the counting and then tags in. This is, again, that sort of team thing. Danny goes on to point out that she's won over $60,000 yesterday, to which I ask, where was the fucking heads up then, pit boss? Maybe it wasn't Nessa watching and the Ice Queen is better at catching counters. Or more likely, 
it took Nessa a couple of days to be like, you know, this seems odd. Well, set aside the card counting. Just the fact that she was probably there yesterday betting huge. Why didn't Sam or somebody from VIP services get the call then? Mm, excellent point. Something's up. Meanwhile, Fred and Nessa are at the Venetian taking a gondola ride and being serenaded while drinking Cristal. And I got to tell you, there is literally, figuratively, no amount of money that you could pay me to get me to sit there and be serenaded on a gondola ride in public. I just, I didn't even like watching it on my screen. It just makes me so uncomfortable. I just wanted to stop, 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 stop. Your your hatred of serenades has had a long and distinguished history on this here podcast. I mean, in some points I get it, but this seemed like just a a lovely little afternoon. But everyone's just going to be looking and staring at you. It's not, it's just not good. No. And already we've had two very offensive serenades in 25 episodes of television. This is not a sustainable rate. It needs to stop. Do you think that this was a special serenade or are you what I was thinking that This is just a typical gondola bit. So I feel like you have to pay extra for the serenading. Sure. And the reason I say that is because otherwise you'd have a cacophony of serenades happening. Mm. And the Venetia would be the least fun place on Earth. Yeah, that would make it not a great spot for sure. Like one gondolier singing cool from afar when I'm not involved. Multiple, though, it's like. What is this fucking O'Charlie's? Like, get me out of here. <laughs> also, all singing different songs. Correct. Here's the problem. So Nessa's judgment, I think, as we've established, can be suspect from time to time. Sure. Don't get in the boat with Fred, Nessa. You're trapped. There's nothing you could do. Now, I don't think she's going to get attacked from him. Obviously, like she could literally get away if she needed to. The water you could probably stand up in. But I mean, from a practical standpoint, This isn't get a drink, and if it sucks, throw the drink in his face and walk out. Like, you're in it to win it now, bud. You've locked yourself in. There is is now a set timer on this, and it is considerably longer than just one drink. Yeah. And she has to sit in that shit and, and wallow in it, because she's trying to let him down gently. He's not really paying attention, just talking up his bank account, like, oh, it's actually 16 million, not 14. And she's finally like, look, it ain't going to happen. Just fuck off. Sorry. And now they sit in a boat in silence waiting to get to their destination. And at least you've got some good champagne with you. But yeah, that's that's not a fun ride. No. And I think so there's a couple options here for, for punch ups for when we take this to Peacock. Both involve somebody grabbing the bottle. I think punch up a Nessa grabs the bottle and just starts drinking from it. Punch up B. An angry Fred grabs the bottle and throws it overboard. <laughs> and cuts off the gondolier. Correct. Row in silence. Just pushes him off the back. <laughs> Which would be even worse, because now you're stuck with no method of propulsion. <laughs> if you want out of this boat so badly, Nessa, you get back there and fucking row. <laughs> I mean, at that point, right, she just rows to the edge and steps out. She sort of hops out. And then, of course, John Lovitz Pratt falls out of the gondola into the water as he tries to do the same. Right. I'm wondering, like, you know, there's always those scenes in, you know, like uh, the Thomas Crown Affair where uh, Rene Russo is like they're having a fight. and She's like to his driver, like pull over and let me out. And they dutifully do. 
Like, could she have demanded that the gondolier like pull over and like let her off the boat? Sure. You know, it's not like this is a custom deal. This is just like this is the thing you can do at the Venetian for like 20 bucks if you want. This guy doesn't give a shit. What do you, what do you think the rate is for gondola rides at the Venetian? Uh, if I'm You're actually 20 guessing, bucks? no, it's probably more like 50 or 75. 20 feels too low unless it's just a much shorter lap than I was expecting. $29 per person Monday through Thursday jumps to 36 Friday and Saturday. It's not terribly unreasonable. Does it say how long the gondola rides are? I'm looking. By the way, there are both indoor and outdoor gondola rides available. Man, I bet the indoor gondoliers are so much happier. I mean, maybe. I guess it depends on the time of year. Like when it's nice out, I would really enjoy outdoor gondoliering. Yeah, but there's a there's a long period of the year where you do not want to be working outside in Las Vegas, I feel like. They don't say, but they do tell you that the last gondola leaves the dock 15 minutes prior to closing. Last shuttle leaving for the dock leaves in approximately five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now. So I'm going to assume they're in the 10 to 15 minute range. Okay. But this is certainly a custom gondoliering experience. I mean, he has hired this gondola for a while, I think, because you're not bringing a bottle of Chris for a 15 minute gondola ride. Yeah, he he's doing a couple laps. Yeah. Like, take me on the inside loop and the outside loop. You bribe the roller coaster guy when there's not a long line to just stay on the roller coaster the whole time? Correct. Although, I think, really, at that point, you shouldn't have to bribe him. Like, you should only really be bribing the guy if there is a line. Like, hey, fuck all those people. I want to stay on. Here's a hundo. Touche. And by the way, why didn't we ever try that? I mean, obviously not 100. We were kids. But, like, why did I just be like, here's 10 bucks. Can I stay? Yeah. It never occurred to me as a kid to bribe the person who's two years older than me making $4 an hour to be like, let me stay. I, I think we were younger and in, more innocent back then. We didn't realize that, yeah, bribes actually work really, really well. Yeah. Out of the Bella Petto, Mary is cleaning up after the topless woman. Again, not her part of her job description, whatever. While Ed and Danny are meeting to have a chat. And at first you're thinking like, ah, okay, pretty good place for a meeting, boys. That's <laughs> clever. But no, this is legit business because, you see, Danny was supposed to make sure that none of the rooms could catch any of the peep show. But it turns out one does. And of course, there just so happens that the person staying in that room is at least holding himself out to be a very conservative religious guy. And he is pissed off. He is not excited by the temptation of sin that is so easily thrust upon him, allegedly. I would think. Somebody as religious as he claims to be, he would be excited about a real world Garden of Eden. (laughs) And and probably not all that into gambling. So why is he in Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, this this Max of Senator Henderson talks a big game, but actually, and as we'll see later, does not walk the walk. Weird. Somebody loudly complaining, using their religion as the background for it being hypocritical. Huh? Well, I guess this is fiction, Ed. We do have to keep that in mind. Yeah. And I mean, in real life, he would know it as Sin City. So you wouldn't go to a city of sin. But here in Neon City, Neon's just pretty lights. Well, he is getting high beams. Hey, oh, that's a boob joke. Oh, no, that was a lighting joke. Why would it be a light? Like neon lights. Oh. And like high beams on cars oh. are different kind of light. Just, just really bury the damn thing. Fortunately, when there's a mystery, and in this case, we've got the mystery of the missing ficus. We need our resident Hardy boy, Encyclopedia Brown Danny, on the case. And he's like, yeah, I got you. Fucking should have been a tree there. Maintenance 
took a nacho break on just that one. The backhoe guy, guy got, got sick. sick. <laughs> Such a weird thing to me. Can you imagine they're like doing all this landscaping? There's one tree left and they're like, oh, closing time. Sorry, we're out. Union rules, man. They're very specific. Yeah, something tells me Big Ed is not a not a union, not a big fan of labor. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Something tells me the CIA case agent of three decades doesn't really give a shit about collective bargaining. <laughs> After Ed gives Danny his marching orders, he finds a sad Fred lodging by the pool and decides to go touch base. Fred confesses his love of Nessa and the unrequited nature of it. And Ed is obviously wishing he'd not walked over there and says, hey, man, you just need to chase your bliss. Find what makes you happy and go do it. And Fred, poor Fred, mistakes Ed's very surface level concern as eagerness to help. But Big Ed, why did you fucking go over there, man? You know, nothing good is coming of that conversation. You bent over backwards last time to get rid of this guy without him taking a header off the tower, as he'll later call it. Like, what were you thinking? Yeah, nothing, nothing good comes of this. I I do think there is a genuine like Ed seems to like the guy, too, because and we get a similar out of Nessa. Like, yes, he's annoying. Yes, this is going to go poorly for me. But uh, look, look at the guy. Yeah, I, mean, I think the thing with Ed is he likes everybody about two percent. And when you talk to Ed for more than about 25 seconds, he stops liking you all that much. Like, all right. OK, this was really more of a glad handing situation, not a we're friends situation. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to work, enjoy the tits and the frozen beverage. And being a multimillionaire. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Fred could have gotten a little bit more tough love here, if we're being perfectly honest. Oh, for sure. Instead of just chase your blush and been like, hey, bud, lock it the fuck up. OK, you're doing fine. You're doing good. Back in security, Mike has run down the footage of Lisa playing and discovers that whenever she sits down, the shoe is incredibly rich. She's set up for instant success. And also, every time she sits down, another guy has just been at the table. And as they're talking, that guy walks in and starts playing while Lisa grabs a coffee at the Montecito's coffee shop, Cup of Joe's. Now, this name is interesting. And I was just about to ask, are you going to be pedantic about the wrong thing being pluralized here? It's not plural. It's not. So it should it should be cups of Joe. Right. But it's not. It is cup hyphen a hyphen j-o apostrophe s that i i did not know the spelling that's just dumb correct that's a terrible name it's a really bad name so we're going to hear this name about 17 times this episode but the coffee shop was actually called that last season we never heard it referred to but we did see signage i don't remember the episode Mm. but we did it was near the end of the season and we did see cup of joe's because i remember thinking it was after we'd seen uh, the e marathon e network marathon because I'd, I'd seen this episode during the marathon. Gotcha. Like, oh yeah, cup of joes. At any rate, the assumption is that she must have some way of getting communicated to by this guy when it's time to sub in. So Mike and Danny are off to go figure it out as we head into commercial break. And they hit the floor with Sam. Each each you know Sam by herself, Danny and Mike. By themselves and they're gonna go say, scan the two sides of this trade with some you know fucking whiz bang radio shack shit that mike threw together look for any signs of coordination between the two i'm sorry did you just say whiz bang when when did i start podcasting with a 74 year old uh, so i was trying to be overly pejorative as i called it whiz bang radio shack shit 
Gotcha. I think taking I think taking that out of context is fake news and lamestream media at its worst. Oh, we are nothing if not lamestream media. That's true. If it turns out that we need to form an LLC to protect ourselves from litigious Elvis and Paul Anka, I've heard of worse names than lamestream media. <laughs> That's got to be taken already. OK, lamestream media six. Like, <laughs> I mean, got him. Yeah, call it whatever the fuck you want. It's it's still la- it's still lamestream media, but all of the E's are threes. That would be Leet Street Media. <laughs> also a good name. So the key is we set up a network of 78 of them. <laughs> so the dead Elvis can't penetrate the withering maze of podcast LLCs. You will never pierce our corporate shell game, dead Elvis. And each one has a crushing liability. <laughs> Just <laughs> waiting to be like, well, there's no assets here. Don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Sorry, Elvis. You want to finance the podcast. 100%. So that if litigation does penetrate the liability shield we've set up for you, there are no real assets at the end of the line. Just debt. You're judgment proof. Danny leaves Mike to figure this shit out while he goes to move the ficus tree because he's decided that he's going to do it. But also, like the guy who was supposed to move the ficus tree originally, is it just going to go do it? It's instead going to talk about it for a while, really plan it out, you know, probably head to Cup of Joe's for a snack, think about it. He'll get, the, he'll get to it eventually. You've got a backup. How fucking hard is it to move this goddamn tree? I mean, have you ever moved a tree, Judson? As a matter of fact, I have. <laughs> Suck it. Was it easy? Well, I didn't have a backhoe. <laughs> That's bait. That's bait. How is that bait? There, there are jokes that could be made and it would get me in trouble. I had to physically restrain myself on that one. With what? A belt? I just, there was an actual movement. Of, nope. Mm-mm. No, no. <laughs> With Danny going to work on the ficus, we cut back to Ed's office and Fred shows up. He's got a plan. He knows what he's going to do. He's found his bliss. He's going to work at the Montecito. Specifically, he's going to tin bar at Mystique. Ed, you fucked up. And he continues to fuck up. Why would he go along with this? Nope. Sorry. Not an option. Pick a different thing that makes you happy. That does not involve my hotel and casino. Please go away. Yeah. Ed makes it sound like he's worried the guy's going to hurt himself again. There is no evidence to suggest that's going to happen. None. So, sorry. Like, get him a cabana at Bella Petto and tell him to leave you the fuck alone. Yeah. I, End of it. You you have, there is no reason to be beholden to this gentleman in any way. No. Moreover, he encounters reluctance from Delinda, obviously. Why keep pushing? Just be like, shit, sorry. You know what, Fred? I tried. Manager, not interested. Full staff, full schedule, sorry. But anyway, he keeps pushing, gets Delinda to go along with it. We smash cut back to the casino floor where Danny is now checking back in with Mike. And I guess in the 10 seconds he was gone to go move the ficus, he's found another reason why he can't move the ficus, which is he found some pottery and therefore has to halt digging. I'm going to have so many questions about this later. I just don't even understand. But Mike's like, hey, there's this horny archaeologist that's been sniffing around the topless pool. I bet he could help you out. And in the meantime, I'm an armchair archaeologist. I'll take a look at it. Okay, Renaissance Mike. <laughs> Mike Mike has some some inspector gadget to him. Just what, whatever you may need. He, he's he got something in the trench coat for you. And just as fucking dumb as Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Reminder, the Inspector Gadget ain't shit without his daughter, Wendy? Penny. Penny. And her trusty dog, Brain. What was the cat's name that uh, 
the evil dude head. I don't think we ever got a name for Dr. Claus Cat, did we? Mm. You're remembering all of these names, so I figured. I've, I've run out of characters that I know of from Inspector Gadget, I'm sorry. But before he can jump into his latest hobby, the Blackjack players initiate their switch, and Mike and Sam spring into action. So dude jumps up from the table. He walks straight out of the casino without stopping. Doesn't go to the cage, just chips in his pocket. See ya. Meanwhile, Lisa walks the table, plops down her 10K. Only 10K this time. So my thought was she'd be able to done this before. I think they said like 25 grand she bought him with one time. Mm -hmm. That's not nearly enough money. Like a rich deck doesn't guarantee you winners. Yeah, this is a real fucking foolhardy group, but whatever. At 5K a hand, I mean, like you said, a rich deck does not guarantee winners. You've only got a couple of bullets in that gun. Yeah, you could have to double or split the first hand, and then if you lose, jeej. Yeah, you Bye. gone. Mike follows this guy on a tour of the strip while Lisa runs up a quick 50k, and then she bounces. Sam follows Lisa on her own little mini tour of the strip while our guy is still walking. Like, where the fuck is he going? He walks so far. Surely not in a straight line. This guy must be zigzagging left and right, which would be good, because then he would see the dude in a bright red shirt or bright orange shirt following him. Yeah, Mike did not dress for conspicuous hiding in this episode, clearly. He did not know no. what his work day was going to entail. Lisa walks straight to a large bookstore where she is late, just on time for the start of her shift. It's unclear, but she walks straight behind the counter, clips on a badge and starts selling books. She was actually on duty the whole time. She told her friend at the next register, hey, I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be right back. Played a couple hands of blackjack and then was back to work. Hey, you and I have seen the magic of the hurry up blackjack. It can work wonders. It's a beautiful thing. Bro's been walking this entire time before he sets up at a small fountain across from Treasure Island to read a book. You know me. You know I'm going to figure out where that where that fountain is. That does seem like something you would do. He's outside the Venetian. Oh, a lot of Venetian this episode. Yeah. No word on where she could be working. I I did... More than a little bit of research to trying to find what bookstore. This is going to surprise you outside of the uh, bookstores at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, which is not close, but close ish to the strip. Um, the only bookstores that exist are, shall we say, of the decidedly Las Vegas variety. What is the Las Vegas variety of a bookstore, Judson? Let's just say they would they would fit in well. If the namesake were not Neon City, but instead Sin City. Oh, so they sell Bibles? No, that'd be if they were the opposite of Sin City. They s can't say that. <laughs> I, think we, I think we've we've run this aground. Good game. Well, both teams played hard. Now, who knows before in a pre-Jeff Bezos owning the world, maybe there was a Barnes & Noble or a Borders, you know, two blocks off the strip. I don't know. But... I can't figure out where the fuck she could have walked to that isn't selling dirty books and sex toys. So I don't know. Maybe she went to the UNLV campus for all we know. We didn't see the rest of the shop. Who knows what they've got back there? <laughs> True. It was very, it was, I think it was far too brightly lit to be an adult bookstore. Touche. So I, don't, I don't think you want to be like seeing and interacting with people in one of those places. Yeah, you're not going to have that nice bay window. Correct. Hey, is that Joe in the adult bookstore buying that huge dildo? Hey, Joe. More like Dill Joe. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Joe's group text is going to have fun with that one. 
Wow, if you're listening to this and your name is Joe, don't tell that joke to your friends because it's not going to go well for you. If you know a Joe, though, please find a way to force that joke in. Well, if you know a Joe, the long con is you make them listen to this podcast. Have them start at, like, say, episode 11 of season one, as we recommend everyone does. And by the time they get here, they'll be lulled into a false sense of security. And then you jump out. Surprise, Jody. And with that Diljo. Hey, Diljo, did you like uh, season two, episode two? Ya bitch. Ya bitch. By the way, I updated my contact info on you in my phone. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't you see what you're doing to me? What you're doing to me? Based on what they observed with Lisa and this guy, they figured out the broad strokes of the plan. Dude plays cards, waits till the deck gets rich. He bounces. Lisa hangs out at Cup of Joe's. When the dude leaves, she sits down. She wins. Simple game. But they're unclear with how they're communicating. And Sam's like, fuck it. Let's just get him out of here. And Ed's like, plays are a dime a dozen. But if they got a system that's beating us, we're in trouble. Yeah, there's somebody else at the head of the table who is just going to send in two other idiots next week. And you're going to get exactly. a parade of idiots. As they begin to rise, there's no conceivable relay person who could be patching these two together. Ed realizes, oh, shit, you know, who else can see both these people at the same time? Us. This must be an inside job. Right, right. Mike does. Mike does a little bit of his clickety clackety. There's only one person who's been working security every time. And it's new guy, Leo. That son of a bitch. But hey, it's your boy Danny was right. And everyone else can fuck right off with their. Hey, Leo is such a great dude. Danny visibly. I, I don't want to say happy. But seems excited at hearing that he's like, uh-huh, what's up? But he's got at this moment, at like the moment where he looks into the bullpen, he's got this like tinge of anger in his eye that to me suggests he's like, I might get to punch Leo in the fucking face. Hell yeah. Today's going to be a good day. <laughs> Danny somehow is able to not immediately go punch Leo in the face and instead meets up with the archaeologist at this dig site, which is nowhere near the pool. It does not seem to be. No. It's just a fucking parking lot. I'm start. I don't think that the dig was related to the tree moving. I th- I think they may have been separate deals, and that for some reason they called Danny in security when they found this pot. I guess because of his construction background. These were for sure related. Okay, they were for sure related. I didn't think they were, but that's very possible. So you just think we go for a ficus tree. To a completely different non sequitur that involves Danny and digging. Yes. That's preposterous. Almost as preposterous as the fact this archaeologist is says, hey, I'm very busy. But if you hook me up with a cabana at the titty pool, I'll spend some time looking at your pottery fragments. I mean, hey, if they want free expertise that my dude's working a good deal here. I I like where this guy's head is at. His head is in the gutter. This is the horniest person I have ever seen on this show. And that is saying something. That is saying something. He's, he is hornier than Mike at the wet t-shirt contest. Which, that is a high bar. All right. Um, yes. Pose him down. Yeah, make sure you wet all the ladies. We want to be fair and square. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At Mystique, Fred is breathing on the glasses to polish them, which... Bad on the outside, way worse when you're breathing on the inside of the glasses. And Dylan is already upset and exceptionally skeptical 
And with good reason, because he hits on his very first customer. He is not wasting any time. No. And he also doesn't know many cocktails, including one that Delinda thinks should be obvious, a sneaky Pete. But I've got some notes here. Go on. Fred doesn't know what's in a sneaky Pete, goes up to Delinda, Psst, what's in a sneaky Pete? She lets him know it's tequila, lime juice, pineapple juice, and creme de menthe. My first note is, that sounds fucking revolting. Yeah, it sounds really gross. Like, tequila, lime juice, pineapple juice, so far so good. Mm -hmm. Creme de menthe. Hard out. Secondly, I looked through a database of cocktails that listed 701 tequila beverages. That's too many tequila beverages, in my opinion. Only nine of them include creme de menthe, and of those, only one included one of the other two ingredients, which was lime juice. Nope, no pineapple juice, but that cocktail, by the way, is called Tequila Mockingbird Number 2. Judson, what pray tell is in Tequila Mockingbird Number 1? I'm glad you asked. It is also disgusting. <laughs> tequila, triple sec, orange juice, cranberry juice, so far so good, we're just sort of a fucked up margarita. Yeah. Blue Curacao. That's a real fucked up margarita. <laughs> yeah. It, it comes prepackaged with your diabetes. If you wear something blue, do you get it for cheaper? Probably not, because I think that drink is going to be brown. <laughs> Unless it's 90% <laughs> blue curacao, there's no way it's going to be a blue drink. Touche. I mean, blue blue curacao and cranberry juice and orange juice equal shit. It's going to look like you were drinking poo. Probably tastes like it, too, from the sound of it. Probably. Thirdly, Delinda mentions no proportions of any kind. <laughs> If someone doesn't know what's in a drink, if I if you ask me what's in a Manhattan and I tell you rye whiskey, vermouth, bitters, go, you're just like, OK, uh, equal parts, I guess. And congratulations, you have fucked that up royally. <laughs> Maybe a sneaky Pete is equal parts of all those things, except no, my fourth and final note, the sneaky Pete is a real cocktail. Oh, what's in that? It is a whiskey version of a white Russian. So it's rye, Kahlua, and either milk or cream. Hmm. I'm trying to decide if that sounds disgusting or possibly intriguing. Um, My money's on gross. Yeah. I'm, gross as fuck. I'm leaning disgusting. Whiskey and milk doesn't seem like a good combo. Because I think when you're having a white Russian, you're really wanting an adult glass of milk. Sure. But and, like, you know, the Kahlua and vodka are just there to get you drunk. But like, it tastes like a little bit like coffee. Like, that's fine. The vodka tastes like nothing. It's it's like the milk you get after eating certain cereals. Well, that's that's rum chata, what you're thinking. Mm, about. Also that much more fun to say too. rum chata. After clutzing his way around the bar, Fred decides, you know what I should do? I should try some flair bartending. Flips a bottle up into the air, spins like four times before he doesn't even try and catch it. And it just shatters on the floor. It looked more like he was trying to do the water bottle flip challenge that was all the rage a couple years yeah. ago because he made no effort to ever catch that bottle. Except with a glass bottle of liquor and without the table yeah. to catch it. Terrible, terrible play. A couple of slight modifications away from what would otherwise have been a perfect water bottle flip execution. Besides that, John Lovitz and Tom Cruise, essentially the same. Basically the same. Delinda, for some reason, doesn't fire him immediately and instead sees Mary walking up. He's like, you've got a customer. Hi, uh, can I get a Greyhound, please? And for your friend? 
Fred not allowed to talk about her that way. No, no, that is that is certainly in the uh, HR briefing that he clearly did not get. Or just the human decency one. If they were friends and good friends that had that relationship, it's a funny joke, Fred. But you don't have that relationship with Mary. So you're just a lecherous piece of shit. Fair enough. At the same time, the card counter returns. Lisa steps into Cup of Joe's. Everyone cranes their neck to discover that, yes, in fact, Leo is on duty. And that's when Mike notices on the on the video cameras that Lisa and the dude are reading the same book. Right, right. And, and Danny's like, Danny's like, OK, all right. What does that tell us? And then a really funny scene. Mike's like, I have no idea. Just an observation. It definitely means something. We just don't know what the hell it means. They stake out the card counters. And as the dude leaves, Leo calls in an order to the coffee shop. And Lisa begins to walk out. Sam's camped down at Cup of Joe's. She's like, uh, I didn't hear a phone ring. But wait, the music changed. And she remembers it was the same song that played the last time Lisa left Cup of Joe's. That song, of course, is Escape. Also known as the Pina Colada song. And what is the second line of that? So so famously, the line that everyone quotes is what? If you like Pina Coladas, getting caught in the rain. Now. The episode preceding this was called Have You Ever Seen I think we were being told what the connection was an entire episode ago by the writing room. You just have to see the threads, connect them. I think you're on more of a Charlie from It's Always Sunny corkboard than like a murder mystery solving corkboard here. I like to think of me as more of the John Nash talking to people that aren't there corkboard, but oh, I think it's fair. All I know is the Pina Colada song, not a CCR song. <laughs> so the reason I bring this up is because I, leg- <laughs> I legitimately thought that uh, when I looked at the episode titles like four or five weeks ago, that the song that they had gotten the title of the episodes flipped. <laughs> they did the sports night DVD case. Yeah. Ed heads down to Mystique, where shockingly Fred has managed to turn the situation around. And he's won over not just the customers, but Delinda as well. And she's like, hey, he's fine. Good. Good on you, Fred. But it's not good news for Fred. Ed's here to pull the plug. Yeah. Uh, impressive comeback by Fred here because he was clearly on the outs. But somehow maybe he just had the right creepy drunk show up that liked his jokes. I don't know. But a, a pretty quick recovery there. Yeah. And Ed's got to get him out of here because he won't shut up about this fucking internship. And now Ed's getting slammed with internship requests. This seems to me like an obvious just tell Fred to lock it up. Like, you don't have to go straight to firing him. Just like tell him no. You've got one shot. Quit telling people about this because I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Fred wants to stay at the Montecito indefinitely. He's really excited. And Ed's like, sorry, man, I'm getting blown up by all these requests for internships. Gee-daddle. Sam has learned that the same guy who handles phone orders also handles the music selection at Cup of Joe's, while Mike has run down the card counter, a guy named Paul, who turns out is in the same book club as Lisa. Ah, hence the same Great Gatsby. Yeah, yeah, and the pieces are starting to come together, including the fact that Sam, like I think maybe you, based on your reaction, also hates the Pina Colada song. I'm fine with the Pina Colada song. Okay. I don't... I do not have Sam's aversion to it, but I wouldn't say that I have Mike and Danny's affinity for it either. How, would you take offense at it being called the Pina Colada track as later our coffee phone order guy will? I, I can't say that I would, no. 
Mike and Danny go shake down this poor kid. His name's Tyler, and they're escorting him, presumably to security, when he decides to make a break for it, including turning over a change cart, causing a general ruckus, running through a craps table, which would get his ass beat by some angry craps players. Yeah, that would that is certainly frowned upon. If you're at that craps table, so in the show, guy runs to the craps table, everyone's like, what the fuck? And then they immediately go back to playing craps. I would be fucking livid. Especially if somebody's on a hot roll. And like, we've got, we're going to have to go to the tapes to sort out what bets were where. Like, I mean, this is going to slow down the table for like 15 minutes, probably. Yeah, it's a it's not a good time. I have a question for you, however. Yes. The change cart gets flipped over and people like fucking moths to a flame start jumping all over each other to pick up ostensibly a couple quarters. Yeah, they might be silver dollars, but not not a lot of currency. Yeah. Either way, if you wouldn't take the coins that were just sitting there on the cart, how does the cart getting turned over then make them free reign? But it's it's the five second rule. Once it hits the floor, it's free money. Oh, OK. See, that's yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. Possessions and I tends the law, which is why you knock things out of people's hands and then pick it, bend down and grab it and run off with it. You can't go to jail. Disclaimer. Yes, you can. <laughs> Don't do that. Sorry. Sorry. What needs to happen is somebody else just knocks it out of their hands and then you swoop down and grab it and you're in the clear. Just don't be in the same book club with the knocker downer person because then that, that's how you get caught. Correct. That, that's conspiracy. That's a RICO violation. You're going to go to prison. <laughs> I don't think that's a RICO violation. <laughs> you're a RICO violation. God damn right I am. <laughs> what i don't know i've got a question for you yes how are we gonna make this episode not suck we're going on weird runs here man that is one big pile of shit in the back room coffee kid is trying to hold up well he's not gonna dime out any of his collaborators says he was running out because he'd done some petty shoplifting and you know what if they're gonna fire him he's just gonna leave we're like bud you just Confess to shoplifting like you're, you're going to now go to jail for that. Like, I mean, this isn't so much shoplifting as it is stealing from your workplace. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Still frowned upon. They're still going to call Metro and be like, hey, this guy said he stole shit from us. We've got it on tape. Just rough him up a little bit, at least. Instead, they're going to make him sit in the back room to finish out his shift, presumably so as to not let anyone on that they figured it out. Keep that in mind. Ed still has a Fred problem, so he recruits Nessa to unfuck the situation, and she decides to prop up his ego while also extricating herself from the Fred dynamic by claiming that she's a lesbian, which I think was a thing we did, like, kind of in this time. Like, the pretending to be gay, I think, was a pretty popular, like, sitcom-y trope. Oh, sure. I mean, we've already seen it once in this show with Sam. That's right. So we get a little bit of light comedy. This plot point's wrapped up in a bow, and I think... We're calling John Lovitz. I don't think we see him again, but I don't know that we do. I think this is the end of Fred. Incorrect. So just in case this is series wrap for John Lovitz, let's give it up to him. One clap for me, one and a reluctant clap, a reluctant second clap for you. That feels appropriate. Yeah, I really didn't like the uh, he was fine in the first episode. The second one was uh, not great. No, not not awesome. 
in the security conference room, our archaeologist friend is breaking the bad news to Ed and Danny. Turns out this pottery is quite old, and it is a remarkable find for some bullshit society a thousand years ago that cultivated corn and beans. I'm like, cool. Like, who gives a shit? Everyone has everything's got to be excavated. This is really going to fuck up operations in Montecito. However, yes, if they're just willing to overlook his trifling fourteen thousand dollar gambling debt, he is more than happy to claim that this archaeological find is worthless shit. <laughs> we'll skip right over the digging it out part. This is a good play. This is a bad play. I I think that this is a good play by the dude. Oh my god. This is le- you. You are going to suggest that Horn Dog Archaeologist is our new chip leader, aren't no, you? No, 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 no. Of course not, because he doesn't get away with it. But ha- <laughs> had he gotten away with it, play. I might. No, it's a very good play. Because no, it's and it's not for the exact reason this happens. So Renaissance Mike turns around the corner, is like, "Hey, I had that piece carbon dated, and it turns out it's only fifty years old, and now." Ed tells Danny to call the university where this guy works and be like, yo, your guy's a piece of shit and has no morals. The reason it's a good play Dude, is sure. why would you ever expect that you've got some nerd on staff who has easy access to carbon dating technology? It's not shit that you could just go buy at Home Depot. Like he's got to have some some friends or something that have access to a lab. No one else is going to check this. They have to take his word. If he gets them to just tear up his little marker and goes away, he's clear. He's done. They're not going to then check it. In fact, they're going to get rid of all the evidence as quickly as possible so they don't have the fucking dig site on their property. It's a good the reason why The reason why it's a terrible play is because you're banking on the fact that these two people who you're telling at the same time are going to keep the secret for you. That is it. I mean, he way, way oversold the importance of the fine. I think the proper play is you go like, yeah, this is something from like three or 400 years ago. Honestly, it's pretty shit, but the law is the law. We're going to have to dig it out. No one's going to want it, but uh, you know, three, six months, I don't know. We'll do what we can, but uh, it's a real bummer for you guys. Oh, and by the way, you only tell, Ed, or you only tell Danny, you don't tell both because you give one person the opportunity to keep the secret. And you go, hey, <clears throat> you know, really shit stuff, basically worthless, but the law's the law. Unless instead, like, no, this huge fine 1100 years ago, there's fucking beans. My God, there's beans. Got to dig it all up. See, but I'll overlook it. The reason it makes sense, though, is. The bigger he makes it, the more impact it can have on the Montecito. Because if, the- but also it calls into it calls into question his morals. So I think if he's like, it's a shit find, but it's a dumb law that we have to follow. Okay, I. But by being like, this is a really cool shit that I'm happy to destroy. Like, no, dumb horn dog archaeologist gets his gets what he deserves, and that's a go fuck yourself from Big Ed. Still a good play. Dumb, dumb play. You're a dumb play. Damn right. <laughs> the counting team is back in action and Danny goes into the now empty back room and puts on what I've learned is called escape, but which I was going to be perfectly fine calling the pina colada track. Have you ever seen rain? Which triggers Lisa to move out. But here's my question. They made Tyler, 
the coffee kid hanging out in the back room so no one would be the wiser, where we found out from him earlier that he gets 100 phone orders a day. What's been happening when he's when there's no one been back there to take these phone orders and no one's been back there to put on music? Cup of Joe's is losing a lot of business today. And wondering where the fuck Tyler is. <laughs> at any rate, Lisa shows up at the table. Paul's still there and he's like, uh, get out of here. Like, I'm still doing my thing. We're going to get busted. And unfortunately, they talk about their criming at the scene of the crime in a place that we know has parabolic mics. And sure enough, they get picked up chatting about their crime. Yeah. Not a good look. No, that's as you would expect in our how to crime lessons. Lesson number one, don't talk about the crime while doing the crime at the crime place. Hi, I'm Sarah Marshall, star of Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime. Check out this exclusive scene from my hit show only on NBC.com. Yeah. Talk about the crime as little as possible. Certainly don't talk about it in the act of commissioning the crime at the location of it. So they snatch up Paul. They snatch up Lisa. Throw him in the back room. And they're like, well, we know about We got you. We know about Leo. Just tell us what's going on. And the guy's like, hey, man, you got me. I counted cards. Kick me out of here. Black book me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, you sweet summer child. Uh, what you've actually done is a felony because you've used a device to commit this act. Whoopsies. Yeah. And that's going to be one to six years in jail. How about that? Everybody had been coached up real well. Tyler didn't really talk. He said all the right stuff. These folks are like, yeah, OK, shucks, you got me. I guess I'll be going now. Didn't realize that. Yeah, actually, this is going to get a little worse for you. Well, and in the next scene, Mike and Dady confront Leo in Ed's office, and he initially denies knowing them and then gets all in Dady's face about it. And I'm starting to think Leo is a serious threat to Lisa, Paul and Tyler. Like, I think he threatened them with, here's what you say if you get in trouble. And if not, bada bing to the moon. Yeah, something bad's coming your way. I did like how Leo tried to say, yeah, I don't know who they are, and then goes, oh, yeah, they are two people in my buddy's book club. Who the fuck knows who is in someone else's book club that they're not a part of? What? How does that make sense? I would barely know if one of my friends was in a book club that I wasn't a part of. Like, because, look, if you're my friend, you've got to know if you come to me and talk about your book club. I am going to get you to shut the fuck up so fast it'll make your head spin. It's not going to be a long conversation. I would rather hear about your failing fantasy football team than the fact you're in a goddamn book club. Oof aloof. So bizarre. Noted not friend of the podcast, books. Boo books. Books are for nerds. TV's cool. <laughs> Suck it, people named Joe and books. Poor, poor Joe's in a book club, I bet. Oh, you know he is. The entire book club calls him Dill Joe now. Sorry, Joe. Leo's like, fuck it. You can't fire me. I quit. I hate all y'all. You're a piece of shit, Danny. I'm leaving. Turns around and there's one of Metro's finest. And for all we know, could actually be the finest because it's not world's worst detective right hand Ruiz. Still not how the hand thing works. What do you mean? They're both. <laughs> At any rate. <laughs> Leo's. Oh, because Leo makes an L. Yeah. There you Leo's an L. And the other one's right hand Ruiz. I get it now. I don't think you do. The episode's denouement. <laughs> you put a little extra stack on that one. <laughs> oh, that was for the people on the way back. Uh-huh. Danny gets to take a well-deserved victory lap over the hiring of Leo. Like, hey, 
you know, you give me shit for fucking women I don't know anything about. You hired a goddamn felon, Ed. And Ed's like, there's 7,000 people in this thing. I want to be like, and Danny lets that go. Be like, motherfucker, you hired him for security and surveillance. Ostensibly to replace me. Yeah, you didn't hire him to take out the fucking weeds from, you know, the pool flower beds. Like, what the fuck? He's not the guy that you hired to move a ficus tree. <laughs> That's me, who you know everything about. Instead, they go to, uh, they're, they're going to go run down a report of a couple fucking in a stairwell, only to discover that it's one of the hired topless sunbathers. And of course, the religious dude, Chekhov's complainer. So we close with Ed and Danny strolling through the casino as yet another CCR song plays us out. I d- what? I got nothing. What? I'm so confused. Well, I mean, it's probably not a CCR song, but Shazam couldn't tell me what it is. And so I figured, statistically speaking, most likely a CCR song. I don't think that it was actually a song. I think this was a free SoundCloud audio. <laughs> you can use this track for free. They used up their music budget already for the season. I mean, so they're like, yeah, they came out swinging hard. They did. Ed, did you like this episode? Uh, it was OK. I, I liked how they did the main plot with the blackjack stuff, but everything else wasn't really that great. I don't know. It was it was fairly nonplussed. How about you? Actually, so I liked it a lot. I thought it was the Montecito crime fighting team, but in a very pragmatic casino oriented way. I like that we got to shit can Leo and get back to sort of our new normal. Like, yeah, Mike's in the security booth, but we don't have this interloper who, you know, Danny seems exactly like he's a threat to Danny, but no, he's a threat to Mitch and I'm pro Mitch. So give you more Mitch time. Leo could fucking kick stones. You know, I thought Fred was a piece of shit, but his B story was at least kind of funny. And the Horndog archaeologist was just sort of a fun throwaway C story. Uh, obviously, you know, one of your new best friends. You fucking love that guy. So I'm surprised he alone didn't drag this higher in your esteem. I didn't love the guy and I didn't think he should get away with it. I'm just saying it's a good play. You liked him for the second he was trying to get Sam to give him a fucking cabana. You're all about Horndog archaeologist. No, not at all. Also... Do we think this guy had markers? Because if he's out 14 grand cash, was he expecting them to put him in an envelope? It's just like, here's your money. I, I figured it had to be a marker because otherwise, right. how does that work? But he doesn't strike me as the marker kind of guy. I don't know. He just didn't seem like a very sophisticated gambler. Sure. He seems like a guy who lost 14 grand playing three card poker all weekend. and doesn't understand how he possibly could have lost. He was he was sure that his knowledge of the ancient Sumerian game Wachika would have led him to glory in three card poker. Oh, God. <laughs> well, as we round the turn of the home stretch, do we have a new chip leader? As a refresher for our audience, Danny's on a back to back alongside co chip leader Josh Demel. What do you think, Ed? I, I think we're back to a solo crown of just Danny. I agree. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he gets to see a lot of sunless, or ooh, that's not what they are. They're not sunless top bathers. That'd be weird. He gets to see a lot of top of sunbathers. He's a part of the crime. <laughs> I was just picturing bunk bed bathtubs. <laughs> so you got your top bathers and you got your bottom bathers. Why would you have bunk bed bathtubs? I don't know. Sometimes more than one person wants a bath. And they're under a big tent so that even the top ones are sunless. They're just indoors. You don't put bunk bed bathtubs outdoors, you dummy. 
What are you thinking? You you absolute fool, you. It's like you've never seen bunk bed bathtubs. God, how how much of a uh, adrenaline junkie thrill seeker do you have to be to accept the bottom bathtub knowing that that thing could just fall and crush you? That's some real adrenaline-fueled bathing. I'd just be more worried about, like, gross bath water from the top <laughs> bathtub, like, overflowing into yours. I just... So, yeah, I mean, Danny gets to see a lot of topless sunbathers. He's part of the crime fighting team. More importantly, he gets proven out on Leo, gets to show him the door, throw him in jail. I think it's Danny. I don't even think it's that close. No, I think you're right. You also Danny also gets retroactive validation that at least from what we saw on the show, he had no reason to be such a dick about Leo. Like early on in the episode. We hadn't seen Leo do anything in either of the first two episodes to give a reason for why Danny should have such a hatred for him, aside from just thinking he took my spot. Right. I mean, Danny gets bailed out. For sure. You know, he didn't have a thesis that was that Leo's a felon. It was just, this guy's a piece of shit. I hate him. Why do you hate him? Because he's a piece of shit. Because fuck you. That's why. (laughs) My friend, what are you on tap for next week? Next week on Pod at the Montecito. Blood is thicker when Ed's enemies from his past. Every morning. (laughs) That hasn't worked like the last two times, but that time you got me. It's the Judson comedy rule of threes, (laughs) baby. You just didn't telegraph that one. You learned how to hide your pitches much better. It doesn't bode well for me. When Ed's enemies from his past resurface. I see. I was expecting it there. I know. See, I got now. I got you swinging at the swinging at the one in the dirt. Fucking in my head, man. This K rate's going way up. Be living there rent free for a while, buddy. Get used to it. <laughs> when Ed's enemies from his past resurface and frame him for murder, Danny and Mike secretly investigate. Meanwhile, Sam, Nessa, Mary, and Delinda must find tenants for their newly purchased home, but they realize their judgment is amiss. I feel like we've missed episodes. It sure does seem like we're skipping way ahead, but I guess it's just going to be an information packed up. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You got any advice for this uh, group of merry listeners that we've assembled? Kids, if you're going to give someone a pity drink, don't do it in a place where you're trapped for a long time. Just do it at the bar right next to you. Especially because they've demonstrated not only a willingness, but an eagerness to drink at the place where they work. So free drinks all the time. And also, as we've established with how long it took the guy to walk there, the trip just to the Venetian was probably 10 or 15 minutes. Awkward fucking gondola ride. And then getting back to the Montecito. Yikes. I mean, you've committed to an hour, hour and a half outing. Chosen poorly. Not good. Not good at all. I wanted to share with you why I bust up laughing earlier. And it's because uh, you had said something about uh, you you made some comment about law or legal or something. I don't know. And it occurred to me I had not done our weekly check of are we being sued by dead Elvis yet. Mm. And we'd gotten a reply to an email. So eight days ago, a gentleman named Carlos reached out to us to let us know that pot at has, quote, had good performance in Apple podcast rankings over the previous 30 days. And he informed us, as you may recall, that we are positioned 213 in the category TV reviews. That I do recall that. And Carlos was looking to sell us uh, a service by which we could monitor our performance. Now, 
what Carlos doesn't know that all of our listeners do is that we are a shit organization with no interest in monetizing this. This is a dumb project that we do because we think it's fun and funny, not because we're going to try and sell you green mattresses or whatever the fuck we're supposed to do. So I should tell, oh fuck, what did we name her? Delilah? Is that our merch lady? Tell her to go ahead and shut down production? Wait, we're... We weren't shilling for green mattresses. We'd actually gotten into the green mattress manufacturing. Business. Well, no, all of our, our T-shirts and things with all the helpful advice that we've been giving. Oh, no. I mean, those are that's totally related to the podcast. Gotcha. That's just that's good. That's good advice. LLC. <laughs> Fuck you, office. You can't touch that money. Another fantastic name. <laughs> so I reached out to Carlos and said, hey, man, I basically I appreciate the email, but you know, we're a real garbage operation here. There's no money in it for you. Just out of curiosity, could you tell me how many podcasts there are in this category? I'm assuming 213. Didn't expect to hear from him. We've heard back from Carlos. His response is, I have to be honest, a real indictment at, at either him and his company or and possibly both Apple Podcasts because he says, hello, these rankings are from Apple Podcasts. A lot of people ask me how many podcasts are listed in the X category. The answer is we cannot know. In theory, every podcast listed in this category can access the rank every podcast in the world. But the Apple has one algorithm that cuts the ranking at any position between 1 and 400. This means that the ranking may have 250 podcasts at a given moment the next day 100, and the next day 380. But this is not the real number of podcasts that can access the ranking. This number is in the tens of thousands for every category. What? Did the fucking BCS computers from 2003 come up with this system? What the fuck? I don't know. But I just absolutely died at the notion that... It's Calvin Ball. Who knows? New podcasts get added every day. I'm choosing to pay attention to Carlos's last line, which is this number is in the thousands for every category. So you've heard it here first, sports fans. We are 213 out of at least 2000 podcasts in the category TV reviews, parentheses, United States. That's extremely good. So hats off to our listeners. They're the ones doing the heavy lifting on that one. Carlos. Sorry that you've chosen to engage with us and waste your time. But seemingly Apple Podcasts is just fucking with you at this point. So maybe get a different job. Yeah, I I don't really know what I'm buying. If even he's like, yeah, dude, we don't fucking know. Bonus piece of advice. I don't I know advice normally comes from Ed. So here's some Judd advice for you. If you're going to sell a product and someone asks you about that product, Maybe don't immediately admit it's bullshit. <laughs> Just a thought. It's good. It's good. Judson, that's good advice. Oh, my God. <laughs> put, put us out of our misery, Judson. Well, at least you're a misery. I still have to edit this piece of shit. <laughs> oh, God. Well, until next time, if there is one, I've been Judd. He's been Ed. And this has been the 213th ranked pod at the Montecito. This is. I'm looking forward to dropping the creepy mic dancing music in right here. I would actually just like you to make a drop of that and use that, please.
If you want to learn how to edit a podcast, come on down. <laughs> Sploot. Sploot. Sploot.